The Hawkeye Nation podcast is happy to have Exile Brewing Company as our anchor sponsor based in Des Moines, Iowa, down at 1514 Walnut Street, established in 2012. The 2015 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winner, top 10 best-selling new craft beer in the nation for 2015, and you have that in Des Moines, Iowa, available on tap and in bottles throughout the entire state. They brew five year-round beers, 10 to 15 seasonal and limited release beers so check them out exile brewing company 1514 wallet street hn podcast with miller and dace thank you to exile brewing company for being a sponsor of this podcast and all of hawkeye nation podcasts and tis basketball season we are coming down the stretch of conference play conference tournaments will begin a couple of weeks from the date that we record this, which is, what is it, February 18th, 19th, somewhere in there. February 19th is when we record this episode of the podcast. We'll get into um, the latest Big Ten standings and things that have gone on. Never too early to look ahead to that the Big Ten tournament, and we're not going to slot people, but just give you a refresher on how seedings work and uh, where Iowa may fall into that slot. But Steve did a little homework this week, or I wouldn't even say homework, an assignment of his own, all of his own volition. You put in some work, and um, I think it was interesting, and I want to discuss it. Um, The title of it was basically College Basketball's 50-Year Landscape. Why don't you set up the macro of what this is before we dive into the micro and debate? Well... The impetus is, and I've been toying with it for the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, my favorite teams obviously rebounded here in the last couple of weeks. But a couple of weeks ago, when you had a when you when you had a year where you had a losing record, followed by a year where you were in the play-in game in the NCAA tournament, and then two weeks ago it looked like they weren't going to make the tournament. I was openly saying I think when you have three years in a row like that, it's probably time for a coaching change. And you know, other schools are thinking about it in the league right now. And, Nebraska, Illinois, et cetera. And then you had NC State. You know, there were rumors a couple of weeks ago that uh, Mark, Godfrey, Mark Godfrey, who's been to two Sweet 16s in the last four years, um, he, he might be on the way out after the way his team played last year. And they're losing a bunch of game by double digits. And then, of course, what's ended up transpiring with him is he's been fired at North Carolina State now. So this just got me to thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, because, you know, when you listen to college, College Sports Nation, and you hear some good analysis on, on Sirius XM, John, you hear two views. You hear the views of the fans. Hey, you know, you guys didn't give me the we're young discount for my season tickets. You know, you when I went to the sporting goods store to buy my gear for this season, you didn't give me the, well, we're having a rebuilding season discount. It cost the same as it did when we were going to Final Fours. And, and then you hear analysts say, hey, you can't be good every single year. You know, that's just the reality of it. And so what is, what is a Rosetta Stone? What is a benchmark for knowing what is a reasonable expectation for your program? Because one of the things Andy Staples does when he hosts a show there, and for people who don't know, he's the chief college sports writer for Sports Illustrated, and he's really good. And when Andy Staples hosts a show on Sirius XM, whenever the topic of coaching firings comes up, he always approaches it from the perspective of asking fan bases, what do you think is the legit ceiling and potential for your program? I mean, where do you think you could really go? And I do think historically that is something to consider when having these debates, right? So I got to thinking, you know, where do some of these programs rank? And lo and behold, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to put together a framework that just takes a look at the last 50 years of college basketball. Why the last 50 years? Because you have the post-World 
World War II expansion of the NCAA tournament. You have the onset of Don Wooden's dynasty at UCLA, which is sort of considered now the modern era of college basketball. 50 is a good round number. It also gives you a time for ebbs and flows in a program. You can see who has staying power, who does not. And I, I just thought that was a good sample size. So what I did is I took a look at major college basketball the last five years, and I, and I broke teams down into several categories based on their performance over the last half century to sort of answer the question, really, what is the legit ceiling potential for your program? Okay, that's with that said, let's let's dive into it. Um, you start out with a category of blue bloods, and you describe that as programs whose prolonged and proven elite status has stood the test of time. So I'm guessing what you're talking about is multiple eras, multiple decades of, of sustained excellence. Um, so we'll dive into those. Duke, that's clear. Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, and UCLA. Now I would I don't have any arguments for you with Duke, KU, Kentucky, and North Carolina. Um, you know, Duke before Coach K, they made it to – did they win a championship or make it to a, a championship game before Coach K? They made it to the 1978 Right. I'm sorry, the, yeah, the 1978 National Championship game, they lost to Kentucky. That's right. Okay, so they made it before. That was Joe B. Hall's championship year at Kentucky. Okay. Um, Indiana, yes. I mean, Bob Knight, they're running the, they, you know, the undefeated team in the 70s championship in, what, 83, and then – not 83, that was NC State. They 81. won in 76, 81, and 87. That's right. And they've been – they went to a national championship game with uh, Davis as their head coach back when was it 2000 or 2001, something like that. So they've done 2002, it – 2002, they lost in Maryland. Was it 2002? Okay. And obviously yep. they've had success since then. So I think that they are – that – Basketball is religion there, and they've won. UCLA, obviously John Wooden, his era, they won, I think, 13 consecutive Pac-10 uh, Pac or whatever it was back then, championships. And, you know, they had some down, some down years a while back, but they have been a rather consistent team. I, I don't know that I'm going to pick a fight with you, you on any of those. You look at UCLA, what is it, Wooden won, won what, uh, 10 of 11 national championships in one spurt? Uh, they also went to national championship games under Larry Brown, under um, Jim Herrick. Uh, Jimmy Herrick won a national championship, right? Yeah. Uh, Gene Bartow, they went to a national championship or a Final Four under Gene Bartow when he succeeded. Um, when he succeeded, um, uh, John Wooden. So they've had multiple coaches uh, take them to Final Fours. Didn't Steve? I think Steve Lavin. Didn't he have a run of four or five uh, Sweet 16s yes. in a row when he was there? Yes. So, I mean, you have and, – and, and one of their down periods um, was, you know, when they still had Reggie Miller uh, on their team. You know, so I think, I think, you know, that's – they've been – there's more there than just John Wooden. He's just the apex of what they've been able to do. And really, until Mike Krzyzewski's come along, John, he's been the apex of what anybody's been able to do. Indeed. And so, I mean, if, if you were going to play the game, I have to cut one from every one of your lists. Um, I would probably cut Indiana, but I, I don't think we're going to 
I think we're good. So not really any debate there. Um, national powers is your next subcategory. Um, programs that have attained elite status in multiple eras or shown they can sustain elite status during one prolonged era. Um, so again, elite status in multiple eras or shown they can sustain elite status during one prolonged era. Alphabetical order, Arizona, no debate. What they've done under Lute, what they did under Lute Olson, that was one amazing run, and he basically went down there and built that program. Um, and Sean Miller has them certainly in the mix right now. Arkansas, very strong run back in the early 1990s, 40 minutes of hell, just a, a, a different type of team, a different type of preparation. Great athletes. That was a, a fantastic run from them. Were not, did, did, did they win one with Williamson, or was it, did they run into Duke? Yep, they won, they won in 94. They lost to UCLA. That was Eric's team in 95. Oh, Eric Montrose. And don't forget. Um, Wait, no. no don't Montrose. forget, they had, they had a – you're thinking of the O'Bannons. Yes. Were at yeah. UCLA on those teams. Yeah. Um, don't, don't forget – they were a dominant program nationally in the 70s, in the late 70s, under Randy Tutton as well. That's how he got the Kentucky job. They went to a Final Four, several Elite Eights, Sweet 16s. So they have, they have been nationally prominent beyond just the Nolan Richardson era, which, of course, are the that's the Halcyon days. He went to three Final Fours. He went... In 1990, and then in 1994 and 1995. Yeah, and, and no one in the history of basketball analysis has ever confused the O'Bannons with Eric Montross. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to give myself an out there. I, I think Carolina must have won one in 93 or 94, 95, somewhere in there. Yeah, Carolina beat the Fab Five in 93. That's the Chris yeah. Webber timeout game. Okay, so that's where why Montross came to my mind, and I had him with UCLA. G going on, Connecticut, no question about it. Um, they had a very nice run, more than just a nice run. That was a, a really good run. Florida, multiple national championships with different coaches, uh, multiple Final Fours. Three, I think, three different coaches to Final Fours. I know that uh, Long Kruger took them to a Final Four. Um, maybe just two coaches for the Final Fours. Just two, Billy Donovan and Long Kruger. Yep. Um, you know, Long Kruger had uh, he was he was in the Final Four the year Arkansas won the national title in '94. Florida, did they win back-to-back? -back? Yes. Yeah, the guy with the Bulls, um, Noah, I think. Joaquin Noah, right? Yep. Uh, uh, Al, Horford's, Al Horford's son was on that team. Or uh, Tito, Horford. Tito Horford's son was on that yes, team. Yes, you were mixing me up there. Um, Georgetown, uh, when we were kids, here we, here we go, folks, back when we were kids. When we were kids in the 80s, you turn on ESPN on a Monday night, the original Big Monday, and you'd watch Georgetown go up against the likes of, you know, Chris Mullen and Bill Wennington for St. John's or Washington um, and Coleman for Syracuse. I mean, those were that was as big as it got. Georgetown was for probably, I'd say. 80 to 86, 87. I mean, Georgetown was, they were the top of the heap. They were the top of the heap. Yeah, they experienced a bit of a downturn. And then John Thompson signed Allen Iverson. And they went right back to national prominence again. And um, Alonzo Mourning uh, in the late 80s, before Iverson came along, actually. Uh, and then, then they took another dip. And then his son took over and took him to a Final Four about a decade ago. 
as well. So, and, and before they became a national power when they landed Pat Ewing to go with Sleepy Floyd in 82, they were consistent in the, in the, in the, in the, pre, in the forerunner to the, uh, the Big East. The, was, I think it was the ECAC back then. They were a consistent national or a consistent power in that conference in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, so they have they had staying power w- under mul- with multiple different sort of franchise kind of players uh, throughout the course of that time. That's why they make the list. And, and especially when you're in a time period when when arguably one of the five best dominant eras of the last 50 years is your school. You have to be on that list. No question. Louisville, uh, no doubt about it. 1986, I believe, uh, national championships. Yep. That was Purvis Ellison. Yep. Right. They uh, they are definitely worthy. Maryland. Maryland had some runs. Um, did they make it to a championship in the 70s? Yes. With John Lucas. Yep. Yep. So they, so they were a national power in the 70s. And Gary Came Williams. Back to get the 80s under Lefty Drizel. Yep. Lefty Drizel. Yep, then they had a then after the bias tragedy they had a big downturn. Gary Williams built that program back up, went to back to back Final Fours, including a national championship. Yeah, and they're uh, they're battling again, losing today against uh, Wisconsin, but they are a team that, especially if Melo Trimble comes back for his senior year, they are a team that could challenge for another Final Four next year. Memphis, Keith Lee, nineteen eighty four, nineteen eighty five, dude was. Um, Fantastic afro, great power forward, just a fun player to watch. Um, Hardaway, did, did um, Penny go there? Penny Hardaway went to Met when it was Memphis State. Yep. Memphis State was a national power in the 70s. Arguably the greatest game any players ever played in college basketball history was Bill Walton. I think it was the 1974 NCAA final against Memphis State. He went something like 19 out of 21 shooting or something like that. So I mean they've been they have been a national uh, powerhouse in multiple eras. We saw it in the 70s, we saw it in the 80s. You mentioned the Keith Lee Baskerville Holmes era, the Dana Kirk era in the 90s with Penny Hardaway. We saw it again in the 2000s with Derrick Rose. We have we have seen this in multiple decades, multiple coaches, multiple conferences for that for that school. Yep, Michigan. Um, you can tell me a little bit before the 1980s. I know Johnny Orr was there, but. Their teams in the 80s were um, a lot of fun. I didn't like watching them back then because I was, you know, dying with Iowa, but living and dying with Iowa. But, man, those teams, Antoine Jobert, Glenn Rice, um, Gary Grant, I mean, those those teams were so much fun to watch in the 80s. And then, of course, in the 90s with the Fab Five, just really – Really fun basketball is what I think when I think of Michigan basketball, at least historically. Well, you know, you look at Michigan in this survey, I believe has been to a Final Four in every decade but one uh, over the last 50 years. Uh, In the mid-60s with Cassie Russell, in the 70s with Johnny Orr, uh, in the 80s with Steve Fisher and when they went on that magical run. And, And that probably wasn't even the best Michigan team of the decade. You mentioned the two teams that won back-to-back Big Ten titles that flamed out in the NCAA tournament uh, in the 90s with the Fab Five. And then they had the Ed Martin lost decade. And then they were just in the Final Four a couple of years ago with John Beeline. So I think that's pretty consistent national prominence over the course yeah. of 50 years. Michigan State, Magic Johnson. Um, last time Iowa tied for a Big Ten championship, uh, Magic Johnson was 
with the uh, Spartans and then of course you know the whole the entire Judd Heathcote era and then from Heathcote right into Tom Izzo you don't need uh, a refresher on what Tom Izzo's done so that's an easy pick NC State 1970s uh, they were a good team I think they were good in the 60s if memories not my memory serves but my memory of reading up on the on the sport then of course 1983 um, Wittenberg to Charles the the alley-oop that was uh, not an alley-oop, but it worked out well for them. And then they, they've been decent. They've been, a, they've been a solid program since then. But, yes, you, by your definition, multiple eras of, of excellence. They won a national championship. They've won two. They won it in the 70s. They're the ones that broke John Wooden's streak in the early 70s, the David Thompson team. Uh, and then you mentioned, of course, Jimmy Valvano. Over the course of the last 50 years, two different coaches – and have won national championships at NC State, five different coaches have taken them to the Sweet 16. Yep, that just shows you that you have a, uh, a program, a supported program there. Oklahoma, um, 1988 Big 12 National Championship, was that KU against Oklahoma? Was that 88? Back when it was the old Big 8 at the Kemper Arena in Kansas City. Yeah. Oklahoma, Billy Tubbs, and Kansas, Danny in the Mirror. Yes. Yeah, and right there on the bench for Kansas was Danny's father. Surprise, surprise. Um, and then Oklahoma has made more runs since then. Uh, recently with uh, with our friend Buddy, a uh, fun team to watch a few years ago. Lon Kruger having a rebuilding year for them right now, but I think they should bounce back next year. Syracuse, they were great in the 80s. They've been were good in the 90s. They won a championship in the 2000s. Pretty solid basketball program. Yeah, they were in a Final Four in the 70s. Um, I think it was on Wooden's last national championship team in 1975. I think they were in the Final Four that year. I think Jim Beheim played on that team, actually. Uh, so, I mean, this has been a consistent a consistent national power. They were just in the Final Four in, in last year. They were in it in 2013, the last time Michigan made it. Uh, you mentioned uh, they won it uh, with uh, Carmelo Anthony beating Kansas back in 2003, I think that was. Uh, they went. They've been. Jim Beheim's been taking them to multiple Final Fours. To me, I think they're a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I think that they might. You know, if we just do this from a last thirty-year standpoint, they're they're one of the elites. Although I will say, I Syracuse has ruined more of my brackets than any other team, without question. UNLV, amazing run. Yeah. In the you know, night. it's funny. Early, early in his career. Early in his career, he was the flame-out coach, right? The, the first time a two ever beat a 15 in the NCAA tournament, it was Syracuse. They lost to Richmond. And, and they sort of had that knack for being a team that, got, that, that, was, that was, you know, busted out early in the tournament. And now we're watching him. Would they have 13 losses last year and they made the Final Four? So early in his career, he was the flame-out coach. And now later in, in, in the latter years, he's pulled out Final Fours in seasons when and people were debating whether they should even be in the tournament. Your next one is UNLV. I have to go back to your definition. Programs that have attained elite status in multiple eras are shown they could sustain elite status during one prolonged era. So, safe to say the Tarkanian era was prolonged? You look at the Tarkanian era, and by the way, when Lon Kruger was there, he took them to consecutive Sweet 16s. Yeah, but you go back to the Tarkanian, the Tarkanian era, they went to a Final Four in three straight decades. They were in the 77 Final Four. That was Al McGuire's run at the end of his career. The 87 season, you know that one because that should have been Iowa in that Final Four that year. 
that was, you know, Gerald Patio and uh, and that three and Freddie Brown, that three point shooting team for an Armin Gilliam. And then, of course, the back to back dominant teams of 90 and 91 uh, with Moses Scurry and Larry Johnson and David Butler and Anderson Hunt uh, and those guys. So over the course of three separate decades, Tarkanian had them in final four. So that that tells you that when conditions are right, they can be a nationally prominent program. Villanova. I don't know much about Villanova's history pre-1985. Unbelievable upset, miracle upset of Villanova against Georgetown. But the what they shoot over 70% for that game. Um, Ed Pickney. Just, just a phenomenal, phenomenal upset. And, of course, they won it again last year. They've been in the conversation pretty much ever since Raleigh Massimino's team in 1985 cut down the nets. This wasn't one of the surprises when I looked at the numbers. This was a powerful program in the 70s. They made a Final Four then. You mentioned Raleigh Massimino, one of the great runs in 85. They just won the national championship last year. Uh, you know, uh, Jay Wright had him in the Final Four a few years ago as well. So what I found was they made Final Fours in four of the five decades hmm. of our survey, and two of those years, they won it all. So I was surprised at their overall profile when I when I actually took a look at them in depth. It was much stronger than I thought it was going to be on the surface. Next category, regional powers, programs that have proven to be consistent winners and or capable of reaching elite status in an ideal situation. Kind of like a, a one-off kind of a deal um, here and there. Alabama? Or a perfect storm. We're going to talk about we're we're going to talk one-offs later. I wouldn't say these are one-offs. I would say if they get a perfect storm, they can do it. Otherwise, these are consistent top twenty-five, top forty NCAA programs. Yeah. What I would say. Alabama. I'm going to have to let you go there because I mean I don't remember Alabama making a whole lot of noise. You look at, well, you look at Whip Sanderson teams in the '80s. Um, they won the SEC with regularity. They were top four or five seeds uh, in the NCAA during the, from the mid-'80s to the early-'90s on a regular basis. Uh, we've seen Mark Gottfried, when he was there, took him to a Sweet 16. Uh, we had the uh, Antonio McDice teams. So, so that's another team that when you look at their basketball profile, I'm not saying it's elite, but it's better than we remember it being. Right. Butler. And if they keep doing what they're doing for the next 15 years, they might move up into the, the next category. What was it? Back-to-back national championship games. Um, you know, they have had a, a history of successful coaches there. Then a guy leaves, goes to Nebraska, goes to Iowa, goes to Ohio State, goes to the Celtics, and they just keep plugging them in, and they just keep winning. I agree. I think if, if you and I are old enough to do this, you know, in a in a sixty year or seventy five year um, landscape down the road, then if they continue on this trajectory, they could be in a different uh, area code when we do this again in the future. Yeah, um, Cincinnati, probably another team on the verge of of going up the next line. But that's been a team that's that's. I think when you think of them, and, and if really if we're talking about these teams, you really think a lot about what they've done in March. Cincinnati's just been a team that's dis- disappointed more often in March than has delivered. Agreed. You had the one uh, Final Four run under Huggy Bear, the uh, 
Nick Van Exel, the first team they had with Nick Van Exel. And then they got to an Elite Eight in 93 and lost a heartbreaker to North Carolina. That team might have been more talented than the uh, team the year before that got to the Final Four. Uh, other than that, though, it's been a consistent. Um, you know, we have Mick Cronin has done a phenomenal job filling in, for, taking over for Huggy Bear, and they remain a, a, an annual top 25 kind of program. You're right. It's rare for them to get out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament now, but it's just as rare for them not to be in the NCAA tournament as well. And, and they lost a player right before the tournament. Was it 10 years ago or so that um... – that really yeah this was was it uh was it keon or kenyon um yeah martin butler i'm thinking of was or it martin, butler or martin? martin kenyon martin is who it was yeah yep and that was a team that were number one in the nation all year yep i think he got hurt in the conference tournament didn't he that year yeah and, and they still kept him a number one seed yep i remember that um Gonzaga, or georgia tech you know they 1980s was was their time they were pretty consistent Pretty cons- I can't remember the guy, the coach's name, the guy with the white hair, but Bobby Kremens. Bobby Kremens, yeah. And the, the '80s, they were they were a player in the '80s. They were. They were one of the best programs in the country in the uh, mid to late '80s. Those were the John Sally, Mark Price uh, teams that they had. Uh, at, then in the early '90s, you know, they had Lethal Weapon Three with um, uh, with uh, uh, whom I think Dennis Scott, mm-hmm. Brian Oliver, and I can't remember who the third guy was. Uh, and then, you know, what's kind of been lost is Paul Hewitt did a decent job there. And in, they got to the national championship game in the early 2000s. One, mm-hmm. of the, one, of the, one of the tournaments that Jim Calhoun won at UConn, Georgia Tech was one of the teams they beat in the national championship, was the team they beat in the national championship game. Gonzaga, I mean, I guess they're the butler of the West. Uh, you know, I just think of Gonzaga as a team that doesn't play anybody in the regular season and, you know, come win a game or two in the NCAA tournament and then go away. And I always kind of feel like they're, they're, they're far more overrated than what their seed line would, would suggest. The, their, their history in the tournament suggests you're um, it's by loading up in the non-conference, but they can help the fact that unless, you know, a, a few years ago, Pacific was kind of good. Now St. Mary's is. But that really means they have a two-game conference schedule. And that means from – so they lo- they load up in November, December, get a lot of games on TV because they play big-name opponents. But then from January on, they don't really play anybody except for a couple of dates until we get to March Madness, and you see what happens. I mean, the, the closest they've been to a Final Four was their first breakthrough year in 99 when Dan Munson was still the coach, and they ended up losing a heartbreaker to eventual national champion UConn that year in the Elite Eight. Since then, they have struggled – uh, they always put on a show, typically in the NSA tournament. They just struggled to get that show to the second weekend. Houston, uh, five slam and jamma. That was that was their one. You look at the entire Guy Lewis era. There's a couple of teams that I struggle to place. Uh, you know, I didn't struggle to place Villanova. I was just surprised at the numbers. One of the teams we'll get to a little bit later on. This was this is the first one though. I really struggled with where to put Houston. Because the run that they had from the mid from the, the late 60s with the Big E, Elvin Hayes, into the mid-80s when at the Hakeem Olajuwon era. So from about 1967 to 1984, I could take Guy Lewis's record in performance at Houston and stack it up with any coach not named John Lewis. I'm dead serious when you do that. You, you could. Multiple Elite Eights, multiple Final Fours, 
multiple national championship games. Now, they never won one. But, but his record, you could put it up there with a Dean Smith, anybody else in that era from the mid late 60s to the early 80s other than Wooden himself. But the problem is before and after that, there's almost nothing. So I really struggled with where to place them. When I did this originally, I put them in the national power line because of how great that run was. But then I just got it, stopped and thought to myself, they haven't come close to that performance. There's going to be a category later on called flashes. You know, people that have performed beyond their typical, uh, for one spurt, beyond their typical uh, benchmark. But, I mean, for 25 years, 15 years, Lewis was taking names. That, that's not just a spurt. You know, I mean, that's dominant. So I really struggled with where to place them, so I kind of split the baby in half. Exile Brewing Company has a couple of beers that they want you to know about. One, the Ruthie, the flagship beer available year-round, a golden lager, light, medium-bodied beer, incredibly smooth finish, their most popular beer that Exile Brewing Company makes. Let me give you a few adjectives they give. A subtle biscuit and caramel undertone, but very well-balanced. Brew with premium German malt and hops, available year-round. And some seasonal beers, the one they're featuring right now the sir mocha lot stout again some adjectives from exile jet black in color medium body brewed with local cocoa from stam coffee malt and chocolate malt robust coffee aroma smells like a fresh pot of dark roast coffee rich dark chocolate finish from local cocoa that is available through february available on tap and in bottles throughout the entire state of iowa um, next up is Illinois, and, and were it not for basically what's happened by and large the last six, seven, eight years, they might have deserved to be up a rung higher. But they've never, you know, they got to the fin- got to the final four um, back in 1989 with the Flying Illini. Um, they had an historic comeback. Was it back in 02 or 03 or 04 with Bill Self? Just a, a fantastic team that I think eventually lost to North Carolina in the championship game. But that comeback against Arizona was something. That was 05, yes. That was at 05, okay. Yep. Um, but yep. Illinois has just been a team that has had really good talent, Steve. Kind of almost like the old Sparty football team where they, they've had great talent, they just haven't had chemistry. And I still think that they've had talent. They've had a lot of injuries under John Gross. But, man, the amount of talent that Illinois has had go through that program is staggering to have not won a national championship since, I think, what, the 1950s. Yeah, I mean, our younger listeners aren't going to remember Lou Du and Lou Henson. In many respects, Gene Cady and and Lou Henson are are Purdue and Illinois are are sort of alter egos, and they're both in this category in that Purdue has had more regular season success. They've won more Big Ten championships. But, but the success in March has been lacking for that program going back to the, uh, you know, the Rick Mount era in the early 70s. On the other hand, Illinois has won a few Big Ten titles, but they've had a lot more success in March than Purdue has had. So programs, I think, are, are kind of on a similar footing. It's just one success has been in one part of the of the season and then compared to the other. And so that's why Purdue's on this exact same line of a regional power, much like Illinois. Next up, you have Iowa alphabetically listed. Um, this goes back 50 years, so we're talking late 60s. So you had Ralph Miller and just the, the high-scoring Iowa teams of that era, Final Four then. 
and then you had Lute Olson's run in 19, um, up to 1980. Lute Olson had a fantastic run. Tom Davis's team in 1987, still a piece of my heart is missing from that one. I, I think it's got to be one of the, the, one of the, one, a team that would have performed well in the Ken Pomeroy rankings, but didn't win the championship. One of the best teams not to have won one, I still think, is that 86-87 Iowa team, which, gosh, I think it has to be the greatest Iowa team of all time. And then after that, Tom Davis consistently getting Iowa to the tournament, although, you know, making a sweet 16 here and there. And then the Alford era produced two or three NCAA tournaments, and Fran McCaffrey now has three. So you have them on the same line with Illinois. Well, this is where you come in. Huh? And you agree or disagree with where I have Iowa placed? Well, when, when I looked at your definition, programs that have proven to be consistent winners and or capable of reaching elite status in an ideal situation. Yeah, consistent winner. I mean, prior to Steve Alford's arrival in Iowa City, the previous 21 years before Alford got there, Iowa made it to 16 NCAA tournaments. Um, and there were Elite Eights, there was a Final Four, um, but there was a, a consistent team. And you're also talking about a team that for the better part of the last 35, 36, 37 years has been in the top 25 in attendance. So good fan support, even though, you know, I'm not a big fan of the arena per se, but that's, uh, that is not for this discussion. So I think given some of the other teams that you have in this, I think looking at their inclusion, I think it's okay to put Iowa here. Cool. Then we agree because that's where I put Iowa. All right. Next up, Iowa State. Iowa State, fun team to watch in the 1980s with Johnny Orr. Uh, or, yeah, the 1980s with Johnny Orr. Larry Eustachy um, had them probably should have gone to a Final Four. Didn't happen. Um, some home cooking a little bit there in, in Auburn Hills. And I think that had Fred Hoiberg stayed, that this program would have done some pretty amazing things. So I, I don't really see much of a difference to not – if you're going to have Iowa in, I think Iowa State's probably fairly similar. Resume historically, Iowa's probably a little bit better, a few more – you know, a few a few more visits to you know elite level status. I don't know how many weeks Iowa State's been ranked number one during that time. Iowa had five or six weeks at that lofty position, but yeah, I have no problem with Iowa State there. I'll just give you a quick quick summation from a Cyclone perspective. Five different coaches during this survey period. Five different coaches have taken Iowa State to the Sweet Sixteen, including Wayne Morgan. No, he took him to a tournament, but not a Sweet 16. Oh, a Sweet 16, my um, bad. Sweet, yeah, five different coaches have taken him to the Sweet 16. Um, and when I say capable of reaching elite status in an ideal situation, under Eustachie, they won back-to-back -back Big 12 titles and were a number two seed in consecutive years. So that would be sort of your ideal right. situation. And the rest of the time, it's pretty clear Sweet 16, you know, top 25 is kind of their watermark. Right. We're just halfway through your regional powers. We'll skip ahead to some of these. Um, you know, Missouri. Missouri's a team that, you know, was it late 70s, early 80s? Steve Stepanovich, you know, very, very good teams there. Iowa played against them a few times. Um, gosh, Norm Stewart. Norm Stewart was their old coach. Great, great battles with Kansas. Very good program. And then Quinn Snyder happened. And they kind of got sideways under Snyder. And ever since then, they've been struggling to get off the mat. 
They've hired a couple of guys with, let's just say, shady backgrounds, and, and they are an abysmal program right now, so some people might be surprised that you have Missouri here. But boy, when they had it rolling, they could recruit well, they had great talent, and there were multiple times when they were the number one ranked team in the regular season. And they were a number two seed in the NCAA tournament as recently as 2012. Hmm. So you're talking about the Norm Stewart era. You go from the late 70s, you start getting into Derek Chivius, you know, the guy with the Band-Aids, Anthony Peeler, uh, Doug Smith. You go from the late 70s, you mentioned the Stanovich teams, into the early 90s. And if we had done this survey, say, 10 years ago, they're kind of the reverse Butler. You know, we were talking about, right. you know, 10 years from now, Butler could be in a different in a different ranking. If we had done this 10 years ago, Missouri would be in a different area code. Uh, they just fall down because even under Snyder, when that thing fell apart, they were still somewhat like Alford. He's sort of their Alford. Uh, you right. know, he big name guy who was as a player who never really delivered, but he still have consistently had winning seasons, was consistently in the NSA tournament. He just off the field was a disaster. He was indeed, and he couldn't off wait. the court. I should say, yeah, off he, the court. he he couldn't wait to get out of the arena and go uh, light up some marbles either. Um, I saw him do it a few times. He's just so jittery. Um, Ohio State program back in the '60s, they were very good. Um, 1980s, Dennis Hobson was their three swing player in their flex offense that they liked to run. Gary Williams was their coach. That was 1987. Big Ten was absolutely stacked then. What Thad Mata has done, we talked about that either last week or two weeks ago. He's done a fantastic job the last two years notwithstanding. So, yeah, I mean, Ohio State really, Steve, given the resources they have, given the large city that the university is in, I don't think people realize how large Columbus is. Isn't it like the, the second or third largest city in Ohio? And Ohio is one of the eight largest states in the country. I actually yep. think Ohio State maybe is underperformed to the type of talent that they should be able to get there. I agree. And you didn't even talk about, you know, the Randy Ayers teams that won back-to-back Big Ten titles with Jim Jackson. So I agree with you. I, I think – remember when I said Villanova's uh, performance, their numbers surprised me? Ohio State's numbers surprised me they weren't better. Right. With all the things, you know, Rod Sellers, Jay Burson, Clark Kellogg. I mean, they have produced a ton – of high-level college basketball players. And other than you go back to the, the mid-60s, you know, with when uh, Bob Knight played for him, and, J- and you mentioned those teams, Jerry Lucas and those teams that were number one teams in the country. Other than that, they've got one Final Four. Hmm. The entire one. Do you remember um, their, their backcourt? I think Clark Kellogg was there. Um... No, two. They've got two. I misspoke. They, they, they were in the Final Four. The, the first year that Michigan State made it with Tom Izzo, they were in the Final Four that year, too. So they've got two Final Fours. That's it. The uh, Clark Kellogg team back in the early 80s, their, their guards used to drive me crazy. I think it was Stokes and Lewis. Yeah. Gosh, those guys were good. They, they had some great teams. Um, just I'll go through some names here, and then you can pull a few out to talk about. You already talked about Purdue and... You know, they've had some great talent. You know, Glenn Robinson, some really tough teams in the 1980s. Just getting to the Final Four, that's kind of their kryptonite. But they have had a lot of talent and underperforming team in that regard. Uh, St. John's had a great run in the 1980s. Had a decent run in the 90s, but as of late, kind of really going to the back burner. Temple, really tough out with their matchup defense. Um, Texas has had athletes over time, but 
not really been consistent on the on the on the round ball. Rick Majerus's Utah teams were a lot of fun to watch, but their era may have come and gone. Virginia back in the early 1980s with Ralph Sampson, he was probably my favorite non-Iowa basketball player of all time. I just was in th- just amazed by him at seven four and what he could do. Was he three-time Player of the Year? I can't recall, yes. but just yep. debatably, and you know I've done this before on the radio. Debatably. One of the greatest college basketball players ever, period. He I don't had, think there's a debate at all. Yeah. I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. And then uh, Virginia, we just said West Virginia and Xavier. I think I think all of those programs, West Virginia would surprise people. Uh, Dale Catlett had a really good program there in the late 80s. Uh, John Beeline took him to consecutive Sweet 16s in an Elite Eight uh, in the early 2000s. And now you have the Huggy Bear era where they are a consistent – top 25 teams so they've done more in basketball than just you know what bob huggins has done since uh, since he took that job so other than that you know xavier has been sort of until the until the arrival of butler they've sort of been the mid-major program uh, until the arrival of butler and gonzaga but and and they're and they go all the way back to you know the mid-80s starting with pete gillen where they have been a consistent ncaa tournament fringe top 25 program with several head coaches now. They have been the feeder for several. You mentioned Sean Miller, uh, who took over in Arizona. Where did he come from? Xavier. So uh, I don't think the rest of those teams, there's really that much debate about where I have them. Right. The next category is contenders, programs that have demonstrated an ability to be competitive but unable to achieve elite status or no longer able to sustain it. I'll kind of go through some of these as well. Arizona State, Auburn, Boston College, BYU, Clemson, Colorado, Dayton, DePaul. DePaul really had it going for a while in the 70s and 80s. Um, Florida State, Georgia, Kansas State. Again, their greater successes are more akin to the 70s and 80s. Um, Middle Tennessee, Mississippi, Murray State, New Mexico. Very tough place to play. UNI, Princeton, SIU. Uh, very good teams in the uh, very early 90s. The 1990s was a great decade for SIU. It was a good decade for me at SIU. Tennessee, Texas A&M, USC, Vanderbilt, Washington, Weber State, and Western Kentucky. A lot of teams here, Steve, that are, are, are familiar teams on your NCAA tournament bracket from these middle to lower conferences. These are teams that people are aware of by and large because of filling out NCAA tournament brackets. And one of those teams seems to pull an upset every single year, like what Middle Tennessee State did screwing all our brackets against Sparty last year. The one team in this group I want to talk about, I mentioned earlier there's two teams I really struggled to place. One of them uh, was Houston because the run at the, the last half of Guy Lewis's era was as good as almost any other program in college basketball had at that time. But you mentioned DePaul. I really did not know where to place them. Because you go back to the Ray Meyer era, which, which predates even this 50 years, but went, went on well into these 50 years. From the, from the late – and his best years were actually in this time period, from the late 60s to the early 80s. And we got into the late 70s and the early 80s, the Mark Aguirre teams. We went to a couple of Final Fours. These were – this was one of the top 10, 15 programs in college basketball every year. And then his son Joey Meyer took over. They were a top 20 team every year. Remember Dallas Comagees and those teams in the mid to late 80s that they had. Pat Kennedy took over. They were still a top 25 team. But they have been so bad in the last decade 
But they have, they literally have, I mean, they're comatose. They're dormant. They're a dormant program. So I really struggled with where to place them. They've had multiple coaches take them to Sweet 16s. They've been to multiple Final Fours. They've been ranked number one in the country numerous times. And yet they've been so bad in the last decade that I really wasn't sure where to place them. Yeah. Ranking. I really struggled with that. You know, you remember Len Bias um, dying before he went to the Celtics um, and how big of a blow that was. DePaul was an academic ineligibility away, I think, from having a rocket boost into the 2000s. And that player was Ronnie Fields. I don't know if you remember him. He was from Chicago Farragut. His junior year, his teammate on his high school team was Kevin Garnett. And Ronnie Fields was the best player. Yeah. Um, I remember this guy. You bet. Ronnie Fields was the best player on the team. He was better than Kevin Garnett. And Kevin Garnett has always said as much. I watched them with my own eyes. Um, I used to go to a lot of Illinois high school regional sites, you know, oftentimes at at, um, Robertson Fieldhouse in Peoria. But I was really into the Illinois high school basketball scene back then. That was the last year before I moved from uh, Peoria to Kansas City. Ronnie Fields had committed to DePaul. Ronnie Fields, he was a freak. He was 6'3", and the best dunker I've ever seen, maybe ever, until this Zion kid that's on YouTube right now. Um, Fields could take you inside, outside. He was a Michael Jordan-type player. And he just didn't get eligible and got in a car wreck. And that's why you've never heard of him. But that really, really hurt DePaul. Otherwise, I think he could have been rocket fuel to boost them into the uh, 2000s. Um, Last category, flashers. Programs who have at some point in time achieved significant success beyond their traditional metric for an isolated moment. Now, there's 31 teams in here. We're not going to talk about all of them. There's one that I definitely want to talk about. And if you've been paying attention to this entire podcast, you have probably been screaming at your radio saying, Dace, where's Wisconsin? Where, where do you have the Badgers? You have the Badgers in your flashers category. And, and I would, because whenever you sent this to me, I was reading through it and I'm like, hey, where, where, wait, did he forget Wisconsin? And I scrolled down to the bottom and Wisconsin's the last team in your list. Now they're alphabetically listed in your flashers category. But I'm sitting there going, all right, 15 straight years with a top four Big Ten finish, about to be 16, back-to-back Final Fours, uh, three Final Fours in the last 16 years, nine sweet 16s in the last 18 or 19 years. I can't remember which one. So 50% of the last 18 years they've been in the sweet 16. And as much as I don't like them, dude, they got to be better than a flasher. You're probably right, and I won't put up much of a fight. I'll explain why I did what I did, and then people can decide whether they think I'm nuts or not. This era is way beyond any other performance that they have put on the court in the other 35 of the 50 years that we survey here. In fact, in the other 35 of these 50 50 years, this is one of the worst programs, power five programs in the United States of America. And so this is way out of character. It's out of character, we go back even further. They had great basketball there in the 30s and 40s, 
the early years of the NCAA tournament. But essentially, if you go post-World War II now, we're going back almost 70 years, this is not even close to what they have been able to manage on their best day uh, beyond this era. And so that's why I put them in the flashers category. Now, if you want to tell me, though, that this 15-year run, if you look at some of the other teams I have, because you think they belong not even in the regional line. You think they, be, they belong in the national power line. Is that where you think they belong? I think regional at worst. I mean, I think if we've got Iowa in there. All right. Let me ask you then as an Iowa fan, would you trade Iowa's 50-year performance with Wisconsin's? It's a good question, and I don't know that All I. Right, could... The fact that it's debatable, you know, you know what? The fact that it's debatable means that they probably belong there. Then, okay. If you're if you're not sure, if you're thinking, you know, I don't know, I have to think about that. Then that mean that that means that you think it's at least it's on par with what Iowa's, because Iowa has a superior 50-year body of work. Obviously, it's not even close, actually. But if you want to tell me that the last 15 years has been so dominant that they belong in that conversation. You won't get any argument out of me. I, I, if they had won one of those national championships, the two years they made it back-to-back, the Kaminsky teams, they probably would have been there. But, uh, but that's the thinking I had when I put them where I did. But like I told you, the case you make is compelling enough. I won't put, I won't, I won't put up much of a defense for, for, what I, for how I rated them. Okay. You had over 100 and some teams listed. I won one argument. I win. Well, you only picked one argument. (laughs) I will put this entire list as Steve has them on the website. I know many of you listen to this podcast on iTunes or whatever service or or app that you use on um, the Google Android platform. But I'll put this entire list on the website under this podcast so you can go and see them and uh, shoot us a note if you agree or disagree on some of these. A lot of work put into this, and I really appreciate it, Steve. Well done. That was a lot of fun talking about it. So um, I think you got it, man. Yeah, I think that'll do. You know, we'll have another week of uh, another week of Big Ten basketball under our belts next week. Basically, the one thing I wanted to say about the Big Ten conference tournament, as you begin to think of that from an Iowa standpoint, you don't want to be the tenth, the eleventh. I'm sorry. Let me start over. You don't want to be the eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, or fourteenth seed because then you have to play an extra day. Those four teams play against each other, two against two, and then the winners of those games advance on. The seven and the 10 play against each other, and the eight and the nine play against each other. The seven, 10 winner plays against the one, the eight, nine plays against the two. So I think Iowa is gonna wind up somewhere between seven through 10, but you wanna stay away from 11, so you don't have to play that extra day if you're gonna make any type of run. And really, this is probably going to be more about a run for Iowa trying to get into the NIT, if anything at all, because uh, they are not going to make it to the NCAA tournament, barring a historic run and winning the Big Ten tournament championship. All right, that'll do it. For Steve, I'm John. Thanks for listening.